Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm super pumped for this week's episode with the one and only NQ. NQ is a National Poetry Slam champion and multi-platinum award-winning songwriter. He's a, a dear friend. He has uh, been honored by being included in Oprah's Super Soul 100 Thought Leaders. He's uh, had groundbreaking performances. This was actually recorded just before he sold out the largest one-man poetry show in Los Angeles history uh, at the Ace Theater. It was a a stunning standing ovation, uh, worthy performance that uh, blew me away, frankly. Um, he's, he's really an incredible human, uh, and he has the ability to distill in a way that kind of uh, your favorite musician does, but in his own unique resonance, the, the, the qualities of that the human experience that just uh, sort of bring you to awe and wonder in terms of, in my experience at least, um, our shared human experience. and. He leads with vulnerability, and he shares a great deal of profound insight and wisdom through creativity. He also hosts workshops to support others in in unlocking and uncovering their own creativity, and he's just a really profound uh, individual, and I love it when you see someone that's really, I think, innovating and disrupting in a space, and has found, for lack of a better term, their unique song, and NQ definitely has. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. We talk about overcoming fear. We talk about the differences between intentions and expectations, um, sort of some of the challenges of this, the, the law of attraction. Um, just absolutely rich. Uh, NQ also shares a poem, uh, a truly beautiful poem. And uh, it's, it's really a rich episode. So I can't wait for you to listen. This episode is brought to you by... Foria, foriawellness.com, F-O-R-I-A-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S.com. Foria has one of the best CBD products on the market. I take their basics uh, CBD every day. Um, It's really profound uh, as an anti-inflammatory, anti-anxiety, just an overall wellness tonic. Um, I've researched a ton uh, around CBD. I actually did my own formulation, uh, but then realized how saturated the market was and realized how much went into sort of third-party testing. And Foria just has a really incredible product that has a profound amount of integrity. Um, so many of the products, hemp actually pulls uh, pulls from the soil and actually is, it, it, it's super important to get um, CBD that you know comes from a good source because otherwise the toxins can find their way into the tonic. And so uh, Foria is basically grown, produced in the U.S., third-party tested, all organic ingredients, organic MCT oil, and uh, super high-end. I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, it's foriawellness.com. And if you go to their website and put in PEAK, uh, you can get 20% off your entire order. So foriawellness.com, PEAK at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by Thrive Probiotic. Uh, I love Thrive. I did a huge amount of research into probiotics. And again, quality is king. Um, Thrive has, uh, of the few clinical studies I've seen as it relates to their own product, And it's been a a game changer for me because I actually uh, was recently on the East Coast, got bit by a tick, 
and I didn't want to take any chances, so I just took a round. I'm actually in the middle of a round of antibiotics, which for those who know, uh, each round of antibiotics you take unequivocally alters the health of your gut flora, your gut microbiome, which is the center for a great deal of your immunity and it's called the second brain, the enteric nervous system. So having a good uh, probiotic is essential for me and Thrive Probiotic is of the best on the market, uh, the best that I've actually found and experienced. So if you're, if you're looking for a great probiotic, I highly recommend them. It's uh, thriveprobiotic.com. And if you put in peak at checkout, you get 15% off your order. Again, that's thriveprobiotic.com. With that, uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Um, And it means a great deal to me that you're here in this community and listening. So thank you guys so much. And without further ado, it's Adam in Q. I'm here with uh, my friend Adam in Q. Adam, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Um, you are obviously a, a, a good friend, also one of the more talented humans I, I'm uh, in association with, and uh, I'm really grateful that you would take the time to, to be here. Yeah, and, thank you for having me. Yeah, brother. So I thought we would start off, if we can, because I think the best introduction uh, is one of the profound uh, works that you share with your audiences so you're setting it up too high okay i'll uh, i'll keep it i'll keep it low i'll keep it low but um but yeah i would love it if you would uh grace us with the poem okay right before i die i'm gonna tell a joke so that everyone in my bedside can laugh before i go most depart on somber notes but life is serious enough and we take our seriousness so serious and stuff Just because you're serious doesn't mean you're tough. It requires more courage to laugh when times get rough. Because laughter doubles as an outlet. If energy is stuck, it can disrupt your pattern long enough to shift how you look. And if you shift how you look, you shift how you look. That way people see you differently and it changes shit up. The glass is either half empty or half filled up. I'm just grateful that I have a cup. So many brag about how they don't give a fuck because they have no fucks to give. Me, I give so many fucks that you would think I have none left. But my fucks are exponential. So I'll give until my death because I'll have infinite fucks until my very last breath. And that's when I'll tell my joke. And it will be so good that the waiting room will laugh like they never knew they could. And they'll have to tell their friends. And their friends will laugh too. And pretty soon the whole world will be laughing. It's true. And they'll laugh until they cry. And they'll cry until they scream. And they'll scream until they love. And they'll love until they dream. It was just a little joke. I didn't know what it could mean. It was just a little joke. Now the joke is on me. 
Cause the laughter was contagious. So it spread across the lands. My punchline was so outrageous, people couldn't even stand. They started rolling on the floors. They started giving up beliefs. They started begging me for more, but I was already deceased. It didn't matter, rich or poor, forget the languages they speak, cause the heart can understand. So it rippled through the streets and they laughed beyond their fears and they laughed beyond their grief and they laughed beyond their wars. They laughed themselves right into peace. We are pieces in the puzzle, but we've never seen the box. We're addicted to the struggle and we love the paradox, but I put that in my joke. So the irony was obvious. No mirrors and no smoke. The clarity was so hilarious that people fucking choked. Then they laughed about the choking. It was universal dope that humanity was smoking and humanity was open, overwhelmed by the emotions. They heard the laughter coming from the mountains and the oceans. They heard the laughter coming from the skies and seas. Even the universe was laughing as it fell to its knees. And right then, the laughter stopped. It was almost all at once. At first it was a shock, the transition was abrupt. But eventually they settled in, united in their work. They had a lot to do together as they built this better earth. I never saw it happen, but I was sure it did. I held my wife and kids' hands as I closed my eyelids. And I dreamt about this world and the things we could create. If I could find the right joke before my soul evacuates. So I opened up my mouth, but I had nothing left to say. So my joke was in the silence as I slowly slipped away. Gets me every time. Thanks. Thank you. So I was actually reminded in that moment of uh, all the times I wish I had a great joke and uh, came up short. Uh, but what I'd love to talk to you about is is actually how you came to poetry. You, you, it's obviously something that's that's a that's a natural, in my view, a natural gift for you, but. Was it, was it always your focus? I mean, I don't, I don't know that many kids that grow up and are like, I want to be a poet. How did you, how did you come to poetry? I hope that someday a lot of kids will grow up and think I want to be a poet. I think they will actually. I hope that they do that. That would be absolutely incredible. Based on what we were sharing earlier, that seems to be part of your why, like what drives you actually. Yeah, I think everyone is an undercover poet. And they just don't have the opportunity to express themselves or they don't have the confidence or the courage. And since there aren't a lot of poets out there, they don't even consider it as an option. And it's just a really great way to express yourself, to think of something that's meaningful to you and have an outlet to get it out of your system in a new art form. And so, you know, I would love it if kids grew up thinking that poetry was something that they could do for a living, you know, and uh, that they could basically like tell whatever human story 
they have to tell and um, that it could be exposed to, to the world, you know? Yeah, we've been friends for a few years now. I've, I've had the good fortune of seeing you perform on numerous occasions and hosting events. I, I see a lot of different types of performers, but what I think is inspiring about the poem is I feel like unlike in some ways, even sometimes a song, a poem evokes and like people get like really, they, they, for me at least, you shift consciousness, you move beyond the rational mind and, and there's like a group, there's like a group buy-in mm-hmm. within, within the context of your poetry that I feel when I, and I, and I witness that is, that is, that is truly profound. And I wonder if you, if folks like yourself and other poets lead the way, what, what would it take for us to all bring our own poetry into the world and for, for young people especially to, to find their voice and see it as a possibility? Yeah, I mean, I think that it would just take an example. Mm-hmm. I think that if you broke poetry in popular culture, which I believe is absolutely positive uh, or possible and positive, mm-hmm. <laughs> both of those things, um, that people would just go, oh, wow, well, I could do that. Yeah. You know, there, there isn't that sense out there for kids. I think when kids see me or they see other poets out there, they go like, wow, like, that's cool. I would love to express myself in that way. But they don't think I could do that for a living. Right. That hasn't been brought to popular culture the way that I think that it could. And, uh, and I think that's, more than anything, not about talent. It's about timing, and it's about the right platform that can represent poets so that people can change the perception of what they think poetry is and what they think poetry can be. Mm. Um, and so I'm trying to, to do my part in that. I, I, be, I mean, I believe you are. My, my question is, and I know a bit of the background in terms of your, your initial interest in being an MC in hip-hop, which obviously, um, based on when we grew up, that was, although it was being defined, it was a commercial reality. People were making a living off of, uh, off of the art form. Uh, how, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there are a lot of poets that are making a living off of the art form. It seems like you're, I would call you a trailblazer in that regard. Uh, I don't know if you saw yourself in that light at the time. What led you to moving from the idea of being an MC into being, if you will, committed to being a poet? Um, well, I mean, I, I just wanted to be a rapper more than anything else in the world. It was my first love and uh i absolutely dedicated everything that i had to making that dream a reality and uh, i just couldn't quite figure out how to turn the corner and i think that to be quite honest when i was younger and i started out doing it it was so pure for me and i just loved the genre too because it was still creating itself so it was undefinable and it was like really a positive thing for MCs to be different. You know, no one was trying to copy the other person's success. They were trying to stand out. And even though there was commercial success at the time, there was also like a real underground feel to hip hop. And, uh, and so I think people actually like weren't necessarily trying to make it. 
they were trying to make something amazing. And, uh, and then that could do whatever it was supposed to do. There was even like a don't sell out like attitude towards hip hop at the time. And, uh, and then that's kind of the environment that really like drew me to it. And, uh, and then when I couldn't quite figure out how to like get signed, because at the time that's all you did. You basically like made a demo tape, you performed at local places and you try to get signed. And I did all of that and I couldn't get signed. So then I just was like, all right, well, I'll just fucking make another demo and then I'll make another album. And then I literally did like, I mean, just outlier hours on this more than 10,000 hours. There's I just put in every single thing that I had and, uh, and I still couldn't figure it out. And as I couldn't become successful for whatever reason, I started to lose like my initial purity, like whatever that initial voice was that made me unique, I think got covered up by all of these other layers of me trying to figure out how to become successful so that I could make a living at doing what I loved. And, um, Anyway, I was 19 and I wound up in an open mic for poets called the Poetry Lounge in Los Angeles. And I just loved the community because it was like hip hop when it started too. There was no boundaries. It was undefinable. Nobody really knew what the fuck they were doing. Uh, And because of that, the art form was so beautiful. And I just started doing my rapping acapella. And because I loved the environment, I just kept coming back. And I would just come every week and I'd put up like a new song, but it was like acapella. And I was around all of these incredible, incredible artists who were using parts of their lives that I wasn't using in hip hop. And they were using content that, you know, I wasn't using anymore. And I think that that inspired me. And then over the years, I just did so much of it that I realized I was more of a poet than a rapper, and then I had to figure out, well, how am I going to make a living? How did you, know? you how did you figure it out? Because I love the notion of staying in your purity. Because I agree, like I grew up in '90s hip hop, Tribe, Farside, De La Soul. I agree, it was such a unique expression. It wasn't about copying, and I, I see in your poetry a totally unique articulation. I've never heard anything like it. But the context of of hustling, which I think a lot of people can relate to and putting in that, the, the grind, you know, like you said, 10,000 hours and not, and not making it, you know, we hear a lot of stories of people like, Oh yeah, you know, like, and then I shot through, but you're saying, you know what? I hit against the wall. It didn't break through what, which oftentimes that failure, you know, Edison or whatever they say, light bulb, 10,000 failures before it actually happened. What, how did that evolution, um, come into being where poetry became something that was a viable living for you? Well, it was out of desperation <laughs> <laughs> and, and necessity. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't gone to college and I was like, I'm broke. Couldn't really figure my life out. I had a lot of like unresolved issues that, uh, I was and you know, I'm still working through, you know, it's a, it's an ongoing process, of course. Um, but it was pretty extreme at that point. And so I like, I like woke up one day and I was like, all right, 
if nothing changes, where am I going to be? And it wasn't, wasn't a good picture. So, um, so I was like, all right, well, what do I want to do? Like, could I go back to school or, you know, I was like, maybe I should just like get a job. You know, I had like interim period jobs. I was like just getting by, um, for many years. And, uh, and yeah, and so that was kind of the, the point of me having a fork in the road. And then I was like, all right, well, I've been like telling the river which way to go mm-hmm. for a long time. And obviously the river is not going in that direction. So instead of like holding onto rocks and trying to like crawl back upstream, why don't I just let go and just kind of see where this takes me. And in doing that, I was basically like open to any art form at that point. I was like, I like creating. And if I could find a way to make a living, then that would be great. Uh, And so then poetry became a viable option for me. And it just so happened that by accident, I had ended up putting in an enormous amount of time uh, doing poetry. You know, I was on HBO Deaf Poetry and we won the National Slam Championships. And the whole time I was just like, I'm a rapper. The whole time <laughs> I like had no interest in fucking poetry. And, uh, and so then I was open to that. And then I became open to songwriting. And so I had some success there because I got really lucky. I got a publishing deal with uh, uh, an amazing production team called Rock Mafia out of L.A. And, um, and I had some success in that department, too. And then. I think that afforded me the foundation to start to refocus my energy on poetry. And I think at that time, once I worked through whatever that stage was, I kind of realized that a lot of my favorite art experiences were poetry experiences, you know, because the people that I came up with were so talented Hmm. and they still are. And they had to get fucking normal jobs for the most part. Because there was no avenue for them to take their art to the public or to monetize it. And um, so, I mean, um, that's a long answer, but it's also like, you know, a very like small summary of what that whole arc was like for me. Yeah. Uh, And then I think I also realized that I was an entrepreneur and not an artist. And I think that that shift allowed me to open up a lot of doors that were maybe there, but I just didn't see before. Yeah. I, I love, I love where you're going with that because I feel like a lot of people get stuck in a certain notion of how we think it should look and, and want to control desperately that vision of how it looks. But especially whether it be an artist's journey or an entrepreneur's journey, oftentimes, obviously it's the, it's the, you know, the bobs and weaves and, you know, when you talk about, and I just actually read Surrender Experiment, which really resonated with me, but that notion, because I felt for years like building a global, global citizen, doing a variety of other things, like, and there were, there was, there were victories in it, but when you're, sw- when you're constantly paddling upstream, there's something lost in that energetically, at least in my experience. And when you can shift and sort of more go with the current, um, yeah. it's profound what shows up. But in the context of, and I know you do what that looks like a variety of things for you now. I mean, you, I was at the largest, I think, poetry 
event of its kind here in Los Angeles a couple years ago? Uh, honestly, I don't know what that means. And, you know, my whole management team, my incredible, <laughs> incredible management team, uh, you know, that's what they say. Who, who knows the research on this? But it was the Mark Taper Forum, and we sold it out. And it was incredible. I, I mean, not to blow smoke. Yeah. And I know you're a very humble guy, but it was like as, as, as someone who hosts events, it was like it was legit. Like nice. it, it was it was buzzing. But but I, but I say that not in the way of, of 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 bigging you up, but more in the context of for those who are figuring out their journey and how to make it work. I mean, what happened? You went from at least as I understand it a context of not knowing really what to do and feeling a sense of desperation around it to now, um, as an entrepreneur and an artist, you're, you're at the frontier. And by, by, so I say the largest event of its kind, I mean, that must've been a risk. You know, you just be like, yo, I'm going to book a, a, a fairly large venue and sell out a one man poetry, you know, it was. It, it, which, which, which that's, that's the essence of where I was going is like, that's a big deal. And I mean, this coming week, you know, the Ace Theater, which is a venue I've looked at. It's, it's, a, it's a marquee venue in Los Angeles and you're doing it again. So you're constantly up leveling, you know, um, and in my view, innovating. The question beneath all this is what did it take from you in terms of your internal work? Because the external successes are, are prevalent and I'm sure, you know, there, there, will, there, will, be, there will be more. And we often look at these external um, markers of success, but what has your internal work and process been like to enable you to be in flow to create these types of, of um, endeavors? Well, I mean, if I was to even look at from the Mark Taper Forum to the Ace Show, mm-hmm. like my life has changed drastically. And I think that I had a lot of uh, personal work to do. And I was trying to do it before, but I didn't really do any proactive things in reality. Mm. Like, I think you can think about changing your life all you want, or you can actually just change your life. You can, like, do things that actually make your life incrementally and accumulatively better. Right. Um, And not expect that to be the end-all be all cure for everything. Right. It doesn't work like that. So, you know, the Mark Taper Forum was a risk and so is the Ace Show. But like my feeling about the Ace Show is really different than my feeling about Mark Taper Forum. And it's double the size. You know, Mark Taper was 750 people and this is 1,600 and we're filming this with 11 cameras and a 30-foot crane, and Mike Posner is a special guest, and uh, it's just going to be a really, really world-class poetry experience for people. And, uh, and yet, I would say I am so much more relaxed about this than the other one. I was, like, legit, like, concerned, <laughs> about the Mark Taper Forum show. <laughs> I was like, fuck, man, I hope people show up. Yeah. You know, I have no idea. And uh, and this one, I'm just very much like, yeah, surrender is kind of the word. I just want to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And trying to hold on to this and control things that are uncontrollable, 
you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and she was saying that there's a difference between expectations and intentions, mm -hmm. and that basically expectations can lead to disappointment. But if you set the intention and you do the work, then you can kind of let go. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've done in this particular show. And I know that it's going to be a really epic experience for the people that come. Mm -hmm. And equally as importantly, I want it to be an epic experience for me. Yeah. And I want to actually be there and like enjoy it and be surprised by my own performance and connect to the people that are in the room rather than like trapping them in my projection or my expectation. Mm. Plus, I've had expectations in the past and things have not lived up to them, but then other things have come out of that situation that were unimaginable to me that were better. Mm. So like why trap yourself in the disappointment of an expectation not becoming reality and then not see whatever other gifts are there? Now, I'm making this sound like super easy, like I'm always like this. I'm not. I mean, I'm, sure. I'm up and down and I do my own thing. But this is how I feel and this is what I believe. And there are things that I do in reality to help me incorporate that into my life. So I meditate twice a day. I've been doing that for over a year and a half. I you do TM or? Like I do a, Vedic. Vedic, yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, Emily Fletcher. Yep, my teacher as well. Ziva Meditation. She's, she's amazing. She's, she's incredible. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and I, and I, you know, I go to a bodywork specialist, this woman, uh, Rachel Putter, who's literally unbelievable. You should look her up if you're in LA. Uh, she's life changing. And then I go to moto yoga all the time. I love the hot yoga mm -hmm. just because I feel like it releases like old trap energy, you know, through perspiration and, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I try to read things that are, I mean, inspiring, but also like challenging, you know, and entertaining, yeah. you know, and I like to hang out with really great people. And, um, and I think that that has all aided me in letting go of some of those projections and those expectations and being more present to what's actually going on. And, uh, what's going on is, pretty fucking rad i mean uh i would yeah. say so yeah uh, i'm i'm well first of all i'm incredibly excited about the show that you have coming up but also having witnessed your growth over the last few years i mean it to me it's a it's a marked evolution in terms of not that you weren't always talented uh that that was clear but for me i'm always observing the sort of the inner landscape in terms of the, the energy you get from people. And you know, to speak uh, authentically, I think you've spoken about this before. It occurred to me when we first met that there was, I don't want to say an edge, but there was a, there was, there was some type of a, there was a, an element of, of an anger that was present, you know, and not that that's not, not like in a hardcore, like negative sense, but I just, still have anger now. Yeah. Well, and so I love my anger. I, uh, I've, I'm growing in relationship to my own anger. Actually, I just <laughs> did some very deep, uh, speaking of inner work, actually just read a book called to be a man. Okay. Uh, by Robert Augustus Masters, which I which I found out through a mutual friend, um, and went off and did his his work, which was a safe container in which to express uh, anger and rage. Mm -hmm. And I tapped into it. What I found about it is, so what I love is talking about these practices like meditation, yoga, etc., which for me are also foundational in my own 
uh, self-development and evolution. But what he talks about, which I found to be quite enlightening for me, is also like we can spiritually bypass. So sometimes some of the deepest rooted aspects of ourselves, if we're operating, which they talk about in Vedic meditation, if 95% of what drives us is the unconscious mind, mm-hmm. if we don't process and move through that, then we're still stuck in those patterns. Right, yeah. And so thank you for saying that because I actually have recently myself been tapping into latent and repressed anger and am now using that as fuel to actually channel me forward. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the whole like secret and like, you know, attracting... The law of attraction. Yeah, what it is that you say to yourself... I believe that, but I also believe that it's been completely misinterpreted and co-opted and that people then like look at that and they think that they're supposed to be like happy all the time. Right. You know, it's, I gotta be, it's gotta be happy all the time. And then they're just trapping that fucking energy inside of them. You can't be alive without having everything inside of you. And like, I think the trick is to not allow those things to own you, you know, but actually like alchemize them. But you have to acknowledge that they exist in order to do that. So like I'm learning to have more fun with all of it, you know, rather than like taking it so seriously or ignoring it or avoiding it. You know, I think that that's worse than or equally as bad as perpetuating it. Yeah. You know, if you're like an angry person and then, you know, or you're sad and you just like victimize yourself or you blame other people over and over again, that's obviously, some, you know, it's going to wind up making your life very difficult and the life of anybody around you very difficult. But like if you just pretend like everything is great all the time, it's not going to work either. No. Well, that's one of the things actually that I've, one of the things I, I've been moved by in the context of the container you create when you're, when you're doing your poetry, uh, is you actually uh, use the term bond the room. You do things that get people out of being. And I think this is one of the problems with kind of education system as we, as we know it today is it's like, here's the expert on stage and here's the passive audience to receive said wisdom. Right. And it's not engaging. Right. And what I love about you, obviously, uh, inspire, but you also get people out of their seat. You get people interacting. You get people moving, and it creates an it's it creates a different type of experience. Um, but you don't do it, even though you're bringing up these very raw uh, and, in some ways, very forward thinking concepts. You do it in a way that's accessible to anyone, you know. And I think that's that's one of the things I I love about your work is. In the context of, say, like, you know, meditation, for example, right? Like, you know, Deepak might be good at attracting certain audience, but like where I'm from on, in Chicago, south side of Chicago, you know, it probably doesn't have a huge amount of attraction. But if someone like Common or, you know, or uh, Usher, who both meditate, talk about meditation, it has a different connotation. Right? Mm-hmm. They're more in touch with um, a different, you know, a different audience. And what, what I love about your work is, to me, it speaks to the varieties of the human experience such that it's ex- accessible um, to, to everyone there. Is there a way in which you, when you go into a space, you, you use your poems to 
evoke? Is that a conscious part of your process in terms of the way that you approach the room? Like when you're going into a space, what is your vision in terms of utilizing your poems? Um, I just want to just say them out loud. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't, I don't have, like, if I come up with a conceptual through line for my work, I would like to, I would like to leave people with a certain subject. I'd like to start with a certain subject and then every single thing is building on that to lead you in a certain direction. So it's kind of a, like a jagged map mm. to get there, but you're actually getting somewhere specifically. But I don't have a vision of them experiencing anything. That's their business. <laughs> you know, I don't want to impose how I feel about my poems onto them. I think actually that's confining from me on stage and for them in the audience, you know, because people are really just going to take whatever it is that they want to take from it. And they should. Yeah. Because they know way better than me, <laughs> you know, what it is that they need to be thinking about or you know, making decisions in their life, you know? So sometimes people will come to workshops or they'll come to shows and then, you know, I'll talk to them later or they'll send emails or something. And people will make like major life decisions, mm -hmm. like pretty major shit. That's what I've witnessed, yeah. You know, and sometimes not. Sometimes somebody's entertained. Sometimes somebody doesn't like it. I mean, it's just, I don't, I don't need to be so presumptuous that I need to get everyone or control their experience. But some people do have these like life-shifting moments and they make major decisions and they come back and they, they tell me about that and they'll like equate it to a, a poem. But the thing is, is it, it wasn't about the poem and the poem isn't trying to make them do anything. The poem is just a mirror and it's something that I wanted to express it's something that was interesting and moving to me that I wanted to explore through this art form and I'm talking to myself like more than anything else I'm just literally exploring my own life experience that continues to change and evolve and I'm giving myself a mirror for my own lessons and reaffirmations for what I want to bring into the future. And I think, honestly, that is an issue that we have with hero worship in our culture, where we're like always like putting celebrities or artists or politicians even on these pedestals, and then we just tear them down you know, and I think that some of them want to be on that pedestal. Some of them actually create their brands around that pedestal. I think it's easier to monetize that, actually. Sure. But, like, I don't want to monetize invincibility. I want to monetize 
vulnerability. Mm. Not like everybody needs to walk around with tissues all the time. I'm not talking about that. But I think that vulnerability is viewed as weakness and it can be viewed as strength. And I think that when I see somebody that I really respect as a brand who has an invincible brand, when I'm in the audience, I don't necessarily get inspired by that. I actually get discouraged because I'm like, I feel like I can't live up to that. Like there's nothing that I could do to live up to that. So then, you know, maybe I like try to do something for like a certain amount of time and then I go, see, it doesn't work. And then I just stop and I go back on the other side even more to all of these other bad habits. And uh, I would like for people to experience my poetry from a place of looking at me like a work in progress. And when I meet my heroes, I like to ask them, when's the last time they had to take their own medicine or they had a difficult time doing so? Because that to me is the thing that humanizes people. And I think that looking at each other like human beings uh, is inspiring and it also creates empathy and it makes us feel less alone. And I would like to do that with my work. Beautifully said. Thanks. What's your vision of, or what's your, what is, what is courage to you? What's courage? What's being courageous look like? Uh, what does courage look like to me? I think just having the courage to be who you are, where you are, as you are. And, uh, yeah, that's enough, mm-hmm. you know? And if you're, like, interested in doing something, to just do it. Because, like, for example, we're going to sell the show out. It's going to be incredible. We're going to sell it to a major network. It'll be the first poetry special to a major network. And I think that that's going to start a domino effect to give that different platform for poetry. But what if it doesn't? Okay. You know, it's not going to be the end of my life, man. Like, I can't put all of my self-worth in that. Like, it's exhausting to put so much on one thing. You know? There's people who are going through way crazier things right now. And that doesn't mean that my vision isn't important and beautiful, but we're like all a part of this together, you know? And I think it's just important to remind ourselves and myself that, uh, you know, it won't be the end. You'll just float in a different direction. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, needless to say, uh, I will be linking up. Uh, you're one of my uh, favorite artists, cross genre. I think everyone would benefit from getting to see your work in person or wherever you can find it. And um, it's going to be an honor to watch this journey grow. And 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 I also want to acknowledge you and honor you for the vision you have to see poetry flourish. Uh, through the lives of other people. I mean, I know you've said 
that you see everyone has poetry within them. Mm-hmm. And I also love the stand you're taking to see poetry become more popularized. And I, and for me, at least you stand as a, as a, you know, frontiersman in terms of actually turning poetry into a genre where there's a profession behind it. Mm-hmm. And I think in doing so will lead to other voices coming to bear that will be transformational. That's what I'm excited about. I'm excited for other people to come out and I mean, I, I imagine if kids, I mean, even peers, there's so many amazing people that I wish uh, the people that get to see me had the opportunity to see because I think poetry creates empathy and empathy is what the world needs most right now. Uh, but I imagine too, just like kids, if they were like, oh, wow, I could do that. And they started when they were eight, nine, you know, like even whatever, 13, 12, when I started rapping, how good they'll wind up being at telling the human story. And that is, uh, that's something that, that excites me. So that's beautiful vision. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate appreciate it. And there you have it, a uh, beautiful episode with my man Adam in Q. I hope you got a tremendous amount of value from it. If you did, go ahead and tag uh, in Q and myself and let us know where you were listening, uh, what insights you garnered from the episode. Uh, in Q is at INQ Life on Instagram, and I'm at Michael Trainer. Uh, always means the world to me when I hear about your experience and where you're listening. If you're if you're loving the podcast, go ahead and share out the episode to someone you think would get a lot of value from it, um, and or go ahead and leave us a rating review on iTunes. It means the world to me, um, and this is all about building a community of value for you. So. Uh, I want to shout out uh, one of our reviewers, uh, Aran Levasseur, said, Illuminating podcast. Michael does a great job of eliciting insightful and practical tips and strategies from world-class performers so we can all begin to cultivate peak mind. Um, thank you, Aran, and, uh, and thank you, NQ, a true peak mind, for the wisdom and insights shared. So grateful for you and so grateful for all of you listening. So with that, please go out there and live your inspired life.